This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning a winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. All right, welcome to uh, Comic Book Commentary, uh, the the episode on Skyward. My name is Joe Henderson. I am the co-creator of Skyward. Uh, ben Blacker has been kind enough to invite me onto his podcast. How little does he know? Uh, what a terrible, terrible job I'm going to do with it. But here we go. So uh, I am going to be doing comic book commentary on Skyward number 10, which if you are listening to this, uh, the minute it drops, it has just come out today. Wee! Um, so I'm going to walk through uh, the comic uh, page by page, panel by panel. Um, if you're listening to a podcast about Skyward Issue 10, chances are you're familiar with the book. So um, I'm, I don't need to do, I think, too much about pitching what, about what it is beyond the fact that it is a book about a low gravity reality where uh, um, in, say, tomorrow, uh, Earth lost a fraction of its gravity. This book takes place 20 years later where we've all adapted. Things are better. Things are worse. But really just... Things are different because now uh, you can fly through the air, but if you jump too high, you don't come back down. So that's the elevator pitch. Um, I'm going to start going through. So page one, uh, I wanted to do a nice slice of life piece of these farmers that we have met in arc two. Um, I just like the idea of two of them sort of standing guard outside of a door and just getting a sense of the the, the mundane commentary be, uh, between them. So here we have are two guards uh, and, one, and both of them talking about whether or not one of them wants to ask someone out on a date. Uh, Stan is named after my manager, uh, Stan Spry. Uh, and so I was really excited to name someone who may or may not be um, having sex with bugs after my manager. I think he'll really enjoy that. Stan, I hope you're listening and I hope you uh, are happy. But what I love about this in particular is that Lee chose... Uh, it, it, it's a tricky composition because what I needed is two set of characters and I wanted them just... Uh, uh, in the same position, but sort of floating up and down the sense that there are two guards on display. But the difference is that because there's low gravity, um, instead of standing there, they're floating there. Uh, but also I wanted a bug to appear in the foreground as a visual gag of it's just a normal day. Oh, my God. Giant bug, giant bug, while also being able to see Willa in the final panel. So uh, the tricky thing for Lee Garbett, who is our artist uh, and co-creator, was finding the right angle that could let us see all that information that's a little dynamic and cool, but also um, um, 
uh, still conveys sort of the mundanity of the concept. So I think he did a lovely job. Um, and it is a very, very uh, fun sequence. So that's page one. It's just sort of like our nice oddball, very mundane beginning to our very, very crazy issue. This is uh, issue 10. It's the um, it's the end of our second arc. So this is where everything comes to a head. We have a whole bunch of dynamics swirling around. Uh, the Willa needs to save the man who she blames for her father's death. Edison has found out that Willa... Uh, is trying to bring gravity back. And since Edison has no legs from the knees down, he very much doesn't like that idea. And Barrow, meanwhile, has been lying in wait, uh, whispering in people's ears, hoping that his manipulations will bear fruit. And this is the issue where they actually do. So uh, it gets us through page one on page two. Uh, we get the fun of these guys being distracted by the uh, the lightning bug, which we saw in a previous uh issue and then we've got uh willa and edison running in and one of the fun things was all of the research i did on um what bugs eat what and one of the very fascinating things i discovered is a lot of fireflies uh stop eating uh stop being carnivorous when they get older so one of the fun things is you come up with a big crazy idea like oh hey why don't i do a a book about um, low gravity world. Well, what are the consequences of that? Well, one of the consequences, uh, other than you floating through the air, is animals would adapt. Well, what would adapt faster? What would adapt in different ways? Uh, what kind of creatures would this be best for? And one of the things that I discovered very quickly was that it, um, one of the potential causes of the size bugs is is gravity. So we took the next natural step on that and have voila, giant bugs. But what's fascinating is the number of bugs who eat. Uh, uh, flesh and the number ones that eat plants and the number ones that switch. So, turns out, hey, a uh, friendly bit of information, uh, fireflies uh, stop eating meat when they grow older. I think that can be a lesson for us all. So, uh, that was a bit of infotainment that uh, made it for a fun little thing where Willa gets to meet this creature and then use it to uh, uh, create a distraction in our finale. So, uh, page two, uh, panel four, here's Roger Barrow. Uh, he is our antagonist for the entire book. Uh, in the first book, uh, the fight between her, Roger Barrow, and her dad resulted in her dad's death. This is the absolute last thing she wants to do. And one of the things I really wanted to do in this book is uh, test Willa. Willa is this wonderful, light uh, character. She's supposed to be. She's supposed to feel lighter than air because she's supposed to represent the world. And one of the things that this arc in particular wanted to do was drag her down and weigh her down and really uh, challenge her. Um, the first book was all about her being fearless. This this second arc is all about her truly facing fear, and it felt like what greater thing to face than actually having to help the man who she blames for her father's death and deal with those emotions. So even though she's being a little light and even though she's being quippy about it, it's hiding her genuine uncomfortableness um, with what she's dealing with. Um, another interesting bit of infotainment, I guess, uh, but on page one, when, when it's, uh, I'm, I'm just saying making me think about that as complete crap. Um, one of the things I did is uh, I changed the language in this book. Um, initially, I'd written a number of issues before it had even come out, and it was a lot more blue. And I started to find that uh, younger readers had really responded to it. So one of the things that I did verbally and Lena Antonio did um, color-wise is um, make it a bit more uh, uh, safe for younger readers. My, my three-and-a-half-year-old reads this book and loves it, and... Uh, 
And um, I have to, I keep that in mind, even though this is wildly unage appropriate for him. Um, I we don't have excessive blood. Uh, I've really pulled back on any swear words. There used to be a lot more swearing in the book, and I kind of like that it doesn't need that. That it can be a, a safer book that still deals with weightier issues, but that at least on its surface um, isn't a, a, a offensive to. Um, younger readers, because I do think that it's a fun book for younger readers to discover and enjoy. Uh, on to page three. So here we've got uh, Roger Barrow with Willa, and here we can see uh, Barrow sort of uh, digging at um, the fission that he's created between Willa and Edison, sort of hinting at what was your plan, Willa? Her saying, All I want to do is stop the war, and Willa's not lying. In as much as that she that is all she wants to do right now. But what Barrow was really doing is nudging Edison and saying, we both know that she has a greater plan beyond this. And I want to remind you that whose side you're really on. Do you want to work with the girl that you have a crush on or do you want to save your ability to walk? So uh, and we can see Edison struggling with that in the third panel until they are interrupted on panel four by Serena. So. That brings us to page, let's see, one, two, three, four, um, where we get to understand Serena. We get to have a sense of where she stands and uh, and Willa trying to connect with her. Uh, this seems really important to me because I, I want to get inside Willa's head a little bit. Uh, so much of this issue is about arcing her character and understand and processing what she's gone through. Uh, in issue six, her dad has died and she both blames herself, but also feels this incredible burden on herself to uh, take his mission and carry it with her. And here you have uh, another woman uh, whose brother died. Uh, and again, uh, this is Willa trying to confront that. Like, you want this death to mean something. You need it to. She's trying to connect with her, but Serena's not listening. This is not a message Serena's going to listen to because Serena doesn't have the same hope in her heart that uh, Willa does. So what you see is Willa's empathic attempt to connect to Serena. And then what you get is the B-side, which is Barrow's fear-based attack. So that takes us on to page six, um, if I've got these numbers right, um, where Barrow then does his side, which is emotional devastation. This is Barrow the businessman. He's a terrible human being. He's awful and evil, and this is what he does. Uh, he knows how to crush an enemy, and what he sees is someone vulnerable, and he he pushes exactly where it hurts. So this is a woman who's dealing with guilt, who wants it all to mean something. Will is trying to prove to her that it'll matter. Barrow is trying to push on the wound. So, all right, that's one, two, got to get page numbers on these, three, four, five. So when Barrow finally leaves, uh, that is him basically saying, hey, uh, that was easy. That was child's play. This is what I can do. You finally unleashed a monster and the monster is on your side. And so that's the other thing I kind of want to play with is uh, Willa knows to protect Chicago. She has to unleash a monster. And this is the first example of the consequences of that, which is, dear Lord, the very first act he does is crush a woman. And that's both terrifying to her, but also the what she hopes is the greater good, the necessary thing she needs to do. Uh, on to the next page. So this is our Barrow's trying to take control. He's trying to um, uh, lead because that's what he always do. He's, he always leads. He's always in charge. Uh, but Willa and Edison have a plan. And one of the things I really wanted to create is a really a smart plan that would work if not for complications. So here we have is they're basically and a fun plan. Like one of the things 
I wanted to do is this is the issue where we're leaving the farm. We're going to be going away from it. So what are the aspects of the farm that we haven't seen? Whenever you introduce a toy like this, uh, you want to play with every aspect of it. So that's why I wanted to do the fighting room where you see that they've got mock bugs where they're learning to fight, how they sleep in this place. Um, the firefly room, I wanted to, when, when, Lucas and Willa had dinner in a previous issue. I wanted to see what a romantic dinner looks like, both in low gravity and out on this farm. And so here, so much of what we've built into this uh, mythology is that everyone's eating bugs. So I felt like I owed it to the readers, but also the fun of the read to figure out how to show what the butchering looks like. And by by saying I had to figure it out, I mean Lee had to figure it out. Uh, and one of the exciting things about working on Skyward is working with someone as talented as Lee because every single issue I try to include some new aspect of world building uh, which is exciting and awesome for a reader and for a writer but a lot of work for an artist because he has to create all new things out of whole cloth and you know I mean with this arc you've got the farm so once he figures out what that looks like he's got a, a bit of it he, he, he's got a language for it but you know, you go to the farm and then, hey, here's the butchering area. What does butchering area look like? What what does a butchered bug look like? What do the people who butcher them look like? There's a lot of work that goes into these world building books, uh, whereas I can just write. Let's see. Let's see what I wrote on this page. Um, so, uh, yeah. So on page six, panel two, they move towards a meat processing era area. We may notice a bug carcass in the distance ready for processing. That's all I wrote. And what? Lee had to then draw is a meat processing area, which, you know, that's a single sentence for me. And that's a lot of of research and figuring out for Lee. And I think he did a lovely job of making it feel very grounded and very normal and also very gross, but not too graphic. So when on uh, on panel four, Willa shoves Barrow in, it's it, it, bleh, it's gross and it's pink. And again, this is Antonio Fabella, our colorist. Um, it's graphic without being too graphic. It's playful graphic because it's sort of got this pink, gross color, which just sort of makes you just uh, it makes me at least sort of cringe. But also it, it there's a little bit of fun to it. You know, that that's always the, the fun of this world is the mixture of uh, of danger, horror, adventure uh, and thrill. And so to me, it's like, yeah, climbing into a giant bug and, and trying to smuggle yourself through that sounds both disgusting and kind of awesome. Um, so, uh, that gets us through page six where, uh, Barrow desperately does not want to go along with his plan. Willa herself doesn't even want to go along with his plan, but this is the plan and that's what they have to do until of course on page seven, here is our interruption. The plan would have gone great if not for those, uh, pesky kids or if not for the super handsome, um, uh, Lucas Serrano. So Lucas enters, he becomes the spanner in the works. Um, one of the things I really wanted to do in this arc is play with a bit of a love triangle. And the first arc, Edison is very clearly the love interest. He's, he's handsome. He's cool. Uh, he's actually the, the, da the damsel in distress at the end of the arc, uh, which I thought was a fun subversion of what we normally see. Uh, and so in this issue, I wanted to keep a bit of tension between him and Willa, both in the fact that she's keeping a secret from him, but also in the idea that here is someone who uh, represents a worldview that could parallel Willa's. This is someone who's been hurt a lot by the world. Edison's been helped by the world. Edison's family is rich. Uh, his, uh, his He can fly through the air now, whereas before the world, he would have been uh, in a wheelchair or with metal legs. Um, so 
Edison represents the best of the world and Lucas seems to represent the good of the world. But as we unpeel uh, the onion of the character, we start to realize that he represents the worst of it, both what he's gone through and the way he's processed it. Um, because ultimately he's a little crazy and he's a little crazy because he he's a survivor. He's had to survive in terrible situations. Um, he's had to fight bugs to stay alive. And so a really big part of it is uh, Lucas um, thinking in Willa, he's found a kindred spirit, someone who understands him, someone who's fought back against the city, someone who's lost so much. Um, so uh, meanwhile, looking at Edison and not quite understanding him. Because here's this rich boy who is, seems to be along for the ride, but why? And so both, why is he doing this? And also, is he a threat romantically? Because he is, because Lucas is very much interested in Edison. So uh, our plan was going great. Lucas comes and screws it up. I absolutely love uh, panel four of page seven, which is Willa peeking out from the carcass. It's not an easy thing to draw because you have to draw a very small face and a facial expression, but Lee is very good. And for one thing, Lee is just amazing at character work in general. Um, that's why I think the book works is because uh, you have big, crazy ideas, but the characters feel real. And little moments like this where you don't have much to work with, he's able to still make you feel uh, Willa's emotions uh, even from such a distance. And yeah, he's, he's pretty good. I'm going to try to hold on to him. Uh, so page eight. Um, so uh, a little time has passed. The uh, guys are coming in to cut open the bug. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted to, the, the, the challenge of this book is there's some really dark stuff and you always want to try to find the humor. You want to try to find the fun. I mean, Willa is literally on an adventure with the dude who she blames for her dad's death. Um, Lucas is in theory accidentally uh, slaughtered millions of people. So finding the ways to have fun with this world is so important because even though really dark stuff happens and even though really sad things happen, uh, there's got to be a light within the dark. Uh, that's to me, that's what uh, makes it relatable. That's what makes it human because we joke our way through the worst of situations as well. So in this case, I think Will is just being very clever and figuring out a way to explain why she's inside the middle of a bug's stomach, which is by uh, just pretending that they got eaten by the bug and that these people are their heroes. And I also love the fact <laughs> that the guy, uh, that one of the techs just vomits upon seeing them because what a horrifying, <laughs> terrifying sight. Uh, I also learned how to write vomit uh, sound effects in this one. Um, I did not know how to write... Um, so, uh, Lee, <laughs> Lee, uh, gave me a couple suggestions and I actually don't know if the final version is what we did or what Simon Boland, our letterer did. Uh, by the way, um, a good letterer is your greatest friend. And we have Simon Boland in our book, who is an amazing letterer, um, who understands the pacing of a book. Like I, I take for granted how easy it is, um, to get this book done partially because, um, Simon does the word balloons in such a way to match the rhythm of the writing. And that's its own art. That's its own sense of editing and having a good letterer who can do that is worth their weight in gold. Um, so their plan has uh, changed. They're trying to audible uh, and we're getting the banter where Willa is trying to show confidence for a Barrow. Barrow is showing scorn and skepticism about everything she's doing. Uh, that takes us up to page nine. Uh, one other thing to mention uh, as I'm going through this is the first arc was very, um, very wide open and very few panels. Um, I wanted it to feel like the world. Uh, low gravity, open, 
um, free. And the second book, uh, for one, I wanted to, I wanted to cram even more story into it. Um, but two, I wanted to feel more claustrophobic because in the second book, Willa doesn't feel the same way. She doesn't have the same sense of, of, um, of the world being bright and shiny. And so I, we, we increased the number of panels. We increased a little bit of the sense of, uh, of claustrophobia. I still wanted the sense of wonder, but, uh, you'll notice that there's, there's a little bit more going on per page. And part of that is to reflect Willa's journey. Uh, so page nine, uh, Edison and Lucas enter the greenhouse. Um, this is your typical bro code conversation, uh, within the world of low gravity. And again, more world world building. I wanted to see what a greenhouse looked like, uh, like tomato plants, tomato plants grow up. So what a fun, cool idea to see them, uh, uh, growing as high as possibly can be, uh, just, you know, giant, giant, uh, uh, rows of them. So again, like within a very normal conversation between two dudes, I wanted to get an element of world building in as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, but I also really liked once I realized, oh, I want to do a greenhouse. I can do tomatoes. I also realized, oh, greenhouses have glass. We haven't really played with what shattered glass would do in low gravity. So sometimes you back yourself into a cool idea. I started with tomatoes. I started with, well, what are things that grow up? We're on a farm. We've seen the butchering of the animals. What about the plants? Well, if we go to a greenhouse, all of a sudden you both get a cool visual, but you get a, uh, a sense of danger. You get a sense of, um, of, 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 of threat that you weren't even expecting. So it's sort of walking down a path and finding the nice, uh, surprising gifts that come along with it. So, uh, Edison's playing a little coy here. Um, he's trying to play it all off. She saved my life. I owe her. That's not all the truth. He definitely has feelings for her, uh, mixed with guilt, mixed with frustration. Um, she did save his life and he does owe her, but there's much more than that. He cares about her. Um, but he's not going to tell this guy this cause he's not going to let him in. Uh, meanwhile, um, uh, Lucas isn't as afraid to let Edison in to a certain point. He's, he's, he's the warrior. He's going to put it all on, on the table. That's, that's how he approaches things. So as you get, uh, to page 10, he's like, he's just basically saying, Hey, you know, like, I don't know what to do with you. I do like her and I'm just trying to process these things. He's, he feels like he's got, uh, He's got everything in control. He's he's in the power position. And at the end of the page, we learn why, which is because he's actually gotten what he needs from Barrow. So this is the guy who already won and is sort of taking a victory lap and figuring out what else he can get. Um, that's the other thing I wanted to sort of play with is this is our penultimate issue. And I feel like uh, whenever penultimate issue, this is our, our, our final issue of the arc. And so one of the things you really want to do is you both want to have everything um, explode against each other, but also in a different way from the first arc. So. In the first arc, uh, Edison gets kidnapped and Willa has to save him uh, after saving her dad. In this one, I wanted it to feel very different. So I started off uh, exploring it more as a, as a jailbreak. Uh, 
And so, okay, what are the fun ways to do a jailbreak? And what are the things we want to see? Well, I want to see her and Barrow working together because that's the worst place she could possibly be. That's the last place Willow wants to be. I want to see Edison versus Lucas because I want to see the two guys vying for Willow's heart up against each other. Um, but I also want to see Willa come in and take control within it. And then I also wanted to culminate um, the lie or the the secret that Willa has been keeping from Edison this whole time in the worst possible way, because this is our second arc and I, I want something juicy to uh, lead us into our third arc. So uh, taking us to page 11, um, uh, I want to play with the idea that uh, Willa is a bit of a folk hero. I think there's something really cool about the idea that this thing that she did in the first arc that didn't mean anything to her beyond saving her dad has become um, a, a symbol to a lot of other people, which when I w- wrote the first arc was not intentional. I didn't realize how much uh, how much I'd really get out of her actions in Chicago. And as I kept writing, I realized, oh, this is someone this is a Katniss Everdeen. And I, I did not ever want to make Willa a Katniss Everdeen figure um, because I felt like that's not something that she would gravitate towards. But weirdly, the story kept pulling her towards it. And I like that. I like the fact that she's not trying to go there, but that the the story uh, and her actions take her there. Her bravery takes her there. Um, and so I, I, that that was more the story telling me how the world would react to her than me creating the story that uh, uh, that would get us there. And so the thought then came, well, if these people are going to be fans, what about a young girl who looks up to Willa as maybe like six months younger than her and here's someone who represents what she could be and Willa unfortunately having to, you know, use that against her for the greater good. Um, and then of course, and, and basically use the, uh, speak to her own pain and say, what, what you think I'm helping the guy who killed my dad escape uh, on page 11, like really saying like, come on, how absurd is this concept? Because I would never do that. Um, and really just putting on its feet, uh, the, the terrible situation she's in. This is the last thing she wants to do. And then at the end of the page, when he says, I didn't kill him, you did. Uh, it was important for me in two things. One, to have Barrow voice that idea. Uh, and two, on page 12, to have Willow call him on his BS. Because I think what's nice is this is issue 10. This is the end of her second arc. Her arc has all been about facing her fears and asking the question of who she is. And what I find very touching about this is she has realized that uh, blaming Barrow for her father's death takes away her father's sacrifice because Barrow didn't kill her dad. Her dad sacrificed himself. And there's a very, very important difference between those two things. And she's been blaming Barrow for her father's death and giving sort of the sacrifice back to her dad in this issue, I think, was just a really important part of her growth. It's, It's all about ownership it's all about personal responsibility and this is the issue where she voices the lesson she's learned which is i have to be responsible for my actions my dad was responsible for his actions and you barrow you are responsible for your actions and don't you dare take credit for anything else and don't you dare take credit for anything the 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 incredible sacrifice my dad made so that was a very important scene to me because i feel like within all the craziness and big awesome ideas would it's all about heart. Like this book for me is all about heart. It's all about Willa. It's all about the journey she goes on and, and the lessons she's learning. And to me, this is where, uh, she faces her fear and realizes, uh, what, what her dad's sacrifice really meant. Uh, it, it, it wasn't, he didn't do it. She can't blame herself for what he did. She can honor what he did. Uh, and then, 
uh, going into page 13. So uh, Lucas has realized their whole plan has gone pear-shaped, and the only way to stop Lucas is to attack Lucas. Uh, The problem is Lucas has pretty much figured out that Edison is up to something. So uh, he's ready for it, has been ready for it this entire time. And uh, this is really cool because uh, one of the things that actually I learned from um, a friend of mine, Jason Ning, who worked on The Expanse, season one, is The Expanse did a lot of research into um, zero gravity and zero gravity fighting. And one of the things that you would have happen is, uh, is, is your fighting styles would change. And this was something that I, I dug into a bit in the first arc. Uh, when it comes to guns versus knives and things like this. But he also mentioned uh, uh, martial arts. And one thing in particular is the different martial arts. And jujitsu is much more based on body pressure and holds and and throws and things like that, that uh, in low gravity would be how you fight because it's it's all about directionality and where you're throwing someone. And so what I loved is getting to this point where you've got this uh, this rich kid versus the farm boy and the farm boy underestimates him because uh, – He's just some rich kid. But the fact of the matter is he's learned jujitsu, uh, which is all that matters is how you hold people, how you grab people and how you throw them, which is something he can do uh, with or without legs. Uh, having said that, getting onto page 14, I couldn't help but make a joke about uh, <laughs> the legs from Lucas's perspective, which is a really low blow. And also, I completely stole from Brian K. Vaughn's run on Ultimate X-Men, of all things. Because there's a sequence where um, I think it's Mr. Sinister throws Professor X uh, down the stairs and makes a joke about I have one thing you don't legs. It's 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 almost word for word uh, homage or ripping off, whatever you want to call it. But it felt appropriate here. And hopefully I did it in a slightly different way. But um, I am completely stealing from the best in that case. Uh, but, um, so that brings us, uh, to page 14 where we get to play with shards of glass. And again, like this is low gravity. These things are floating in the air. They're all around them. There's something cool and exciting about, um, just as something as simple as a greenhouse suddenly turned into a weapon. And then this is our, our opportunity to see Lucas versus Edison, um, both for the heart of Willa, but also, um, for their own agendas um, coming to a head and then being interrupted by the same thing that Willa saw a couple pages ago, which brings us to page 15, the farm is burning. And so that is the image from our cover. This is this gorgeous image that, uh, I, that both Lee on the cover and Antonio here brought to this just vibrant, dark, uh, very, very uh, um, rich life. Uh, and again, I wrote full page spread. The farm is burning. Embrace, embrace in any way you can have fire and smoke look in low G and give it a surreal world weird look, which I think both on the cover and here, uh, Lee and Antonio did very well because fire moves very beautifully and very strangely in low gravity. Um, there's actually these really cool videos of the space station online that I uh, used. Um, at times, fire can look like a jellyfish. It can like almost look like it's alive. And there's... These are things that you can't really convey on a on a on a comic book page, but selling the sort of strangeness of it, like you know, fire, but this both looks like fire, but looks like something different. And walking that fine line is a very tricky line that they walked uh, very well. Um, but uh, on to page sixteen. So uh, here's Edison and Lucas, and this is where Edison realizes just how far 
Lucas is willing to go and just what the exact plan is, which Lucas has decided there's only one way to get out of here. Uh, there's only one way to win, and that's he needs his farmers behind him, but he also needs his farmers to have no other choice. Um, this is a war. There is no way to win but uh, but to be as ruthless as possible and to back themselves into a corner. Uh, and I think one of the things Edison's speaking to here is even my family wouldn't do something like this. Like Edison sees his family as the worst of the worst, but now he's actually seeing something even worse. And this will actually pay pay into our uh, play into our third arc where we will actually spoilers uh, meet Edison's family. And um, I'm really trying to sort of tease them out and give context to who they are, which is they are not very good people, but they are not this bad of people. And so hopefully give a sense of excitement about meeting who these people are and designing for ourselves just how bad they are um so uh i did not write uh lucas creating glass wolverine claws like he does on panel four and i love it um and again like i i, I wrote uh, lucas starts to lose it advancing towards them with blades of glass in his hands and uh and lee was like well if he's holding the glass he might be cutting his hands what if he puts it between his fingers it'll also look awesome so again this is this is the fun of collaborating with someone who uh is so imaginative and can also come up with cool iconic looks like this is i think he called out it's um it's the gray with liam neeson it's like you've got these shards of glass you hold them between your fingers and you both look awesome and it's a little more functional than holding a piece of glass that's probably cutting you more than it is anyone else um and then uh, bringing us to page 18, Willa with her big, beautiful wings, culmination of her character, learning how to adapt to this world. Here she is wearing wings that we saw her struggling with before. She's got it under control. She's adapted to this world. She's in charge. She has gone from um, caterpillar to butterfly. Um, the, the metaphor is uh, not on the nose at all, I swear. Uh <laughs> And really just stepping up and, and taking ownership of this world. And she understands who Lucas is now. She understands who she is now. She understands what she needs to do. Uh, and she's trying to reason with uh, Lucas. She's trying to have him understand. But she just, there's there's no reasoning with this man. Lucas is too far gone. Um, and so she throws glass at him. Because that's what you do when... Uh, it looks really, really cool, and it's a cool moment. <laughs> um, this is uh, interesting. So on to uh, page 19, uh, I had to add a bit of dialogue because I realized, and this is something that happens, this is the, the beauty of uh, comics to me is the rewrite, which is um, there, you have this awesome panel on page 18 where she's shooting glass at Lucas, and I got to the next page, I'm like, oh, I I don't know if he's alive or not, and that's on me. That's that's uh, this is a, He got it exactly... Uh, how I wrote it, um, excuse me, page 17 to page 18. Uh, cause like I wrote glass shards go flying at Lucas. Lucas yells, ah, um, and then on page 18, I'd originally just wrote written that they're, they're already talking about the next stuff. The first line is we need to get the transport before it leaves. And in reading it, you're like, oh, is, is Lucas dead? Is he alive? And so I added some, uh, dialogue that says that should hold Lucas off for a bit to, to, to bridge the gap. And that's one of the things that as a newer comic writer, I'm still learning is the things that the visuals won't always um, sell that you're just assuming will be part of the DNA. And it's the same thing as working in TV when you get into editing and you're suddenly like, Oh, Oh, I need this piece. I didn't even think I needed this piece because I feel, felt like it would be conveyed visually, but it's not being conveyed visually at all. And that's not, that's very rarely the fault of the director or the artist. It's usually a, a lack of imagination on us writers. So, or, 
the artist has chosen a different way to convey something that conveys one part even better. And then you just need to speak to it in a different way. But in this case, this was all on me. Uh, but again, you, you, the, the fun is you get the pages and you're like, okay, how do I very quickly, uh, bridge these moments? And so that should hold Lucas off for a bit. So we're like, oh, wow. Okay. So moving on to the next, now we have our cool, uh, page 18 rushing through the, uh, the, the burning farm. Uh, and I wanted to really show that Willa had gotten used to the, um, wings but i also wanted to now collide the edison willow stories now that lucas is sort of taken care of at least for a little bit now it's the time for the most important story and the story between will and edison the which to me is really the true crux of the second uh, arc which is the secret she's been keeping from him and uh the fact that he finds out in the worst possible way because barrow uses it to weaponize edison against them so here uh, Edison has done the math. He's realized that they that he's made a terrible mistake. Uh, he's not telling her yet because he's hoping he can fix it before she needs to know. Um, they get to the transport. We see the father and the child one last time. Uh, the father, by the way, uh, is based visually on the actor for my zombie. I do not know his name, but uh, I know that Lee based him on him um, and very handsomely, I would say. So uh, they get there. They're too late. Um, that brings us to page uh, 19. By the way, perfect example, panel one. Like uh, Lee does such a great job of putting action into a single panel. Like Willa taking off the wings is, is a difficult visual. And not only does he make it uh, read visually, but he makes it look really cool. Um, I'm, I'm always in awe of how artists can take really tricky moments that are almost moments between moments, uh, moments of action where you have to both imply action, but also have it read. And that panel in particular very, really impressed me because I'm like, okay, that's you're tracking so much, but also she just looks really cool. Um, and so this is where on page 19, everything comes to a head where uh, Edison has to admit the truth, both that he knows what Willa's been doing and that he's acted against it. And what was really important to me in this sequence is that Willa and Edison are both at fault. Willa is at fault because she lied to Edison. She has the original sin, but Edison, but she had a passive sin. Edison has an active sin, which is he gave Barrow uh, her dad's book. And so she has the first one, it was passive. He has the second one, it was active. In theory, they balance out, or at least they're both... They're both responsible. And one of the things I didn't want to do is have this big scene where they yell at each other and then they, they go off in their own directions. These two characters are actually more mature um, than they were at the beginning of, of the story. Uh, they're more mature than they were at the uh, in the first issue when um, Edison misinterpreted her talking about his lack of legs and uh, she was super embarrassed. Um, instead, they both they've grown up and they both realized they've both screwed up. And so uh, going on to page 20. Where she says, no, not yet. I can beat him to Kansas City and I'll go with you. And then she refuses him. He thinks that they're still back where they were. And she's like, no, she gets it. She made mistakes. He made mistakes. We just need to fix this. And then when she says, I should have told you everything from the beginning, it's her saying, I'm sorry. He says, I would have tried to stop you. It's him saying, I'm sorry. Uh, these are two people who have gone through incredible things together. They both screwed up. And they're both uh, realizing it. And it's too late to do anything about it other than... Uh, try to move forward. So I tried to find, I wanted to find something uh, healthier and stronger that spoke to the characters and the strength of the characters and the journeys they've been on. They have made mistakes, but they can also learn from them. Um, and I just love the idea of, of uh, Edison having to write a bug because um, you know, that is the thing that has terrified him for most of this arc. And uh, I just love characters writing bugs because that's amazing. 
Uh, on to page 21. Uh, I love this Lucas design uh, for the armor. Actually, uh, we went back and forth a lot about what the color of the armor would be, and Lee settled on this awesome uh, goldish yellow, like yellow jackety sort of thing, um, which just both speaks to war, but also the different kinds of bugs out there. It feels uh, cool and weird, but still within the language of our world. Um, again, and and you got you got the face, so you've got the B side of the A side of all the glass being thrown at him. Uh, he's all screwed up now. Uh, if anything, he's he's more mad and and determined than ever because of what happened with him with Willa. We have a visual representation of what he's gone through and what she's done to him. Um, but we also now understand how he got slowed down. Uh, so this is my sort of Empire Strikes Back moment. If the first one was Star Wars and the third arc is our Return of the Jedi uh, moment, uh, this is this is the moment where everything is darkest before the dawn. And I wanted to go both darkest before the dawn, but similar to Empire, do it with hope. You've got an army headed to Chicago. The one way to save it is a book that Barrow's running away with. So my own worst enemy has the one fix that I need. And what do I do? And I love that uh, so much of this arc has been Willa being down and then this being about her picking herself back up. So her argument is basically, sure, uh, Bear is ahead of us, but we have each other. Like, I don't just have myself. Uh, I'm used to being on my own, so I could I could do fine on my own, but I don't even need to do that because uh, because of what I have learned. Uh, my, my arc has brought me to this moment, and I have picked up from it. And so I really just wanted to bring her character to a to a stronger moment. The the hero has been tested and has failed at times, but has ultimately come back stronger. And she has faced her fear. The first arc, she's the fearless girl. The second arc, she's the fearful uh, fearful girl. Now she's ready to face even greater things, but is more uh, formidable than ever. So that brings us to our last page which is when her she's doing her Hulk jumps, which I've been really excited to do, is this terrifying idea of you go through the desert, you make one wrong, wrong jump, and you could never come back down. But she's brave and ready, and she can do this. And so she's Hulk jumping her way to Kansas City. And then uh, one of the things that was really exciting about this book is this is where I had plotted it to end, which is her jumping forward and us being like, great, can't wait to see the next book. And it didn't feel like enough. It just, it didn't quite feel like enough. And then I just started brainstorming, well, what if, what if there's a mysterious figure looking at them? And I like to sometimes write myself into corners of a simple gimmick. Like we've seen that uh, gimmick a thousand times, but what's the personal version of it? So I started playing with it. Okay, you've got a simple uh, idea of a mysterious figure. Uh, and then it, the question sort of became, well, who could it be? And that's the big mystery that, uh, will actually be revealed in the next issue. And, you know, the person says, my sweet baby girl, I'm coming for you. There's only so many options for who that could be. Uh, but I will leave that to you, dear reader. Uh, only know that the decision on the identity of that person was not made lightly. And that uh, the amount of story that we are going to get out of it in the third arc, story that I didn't even anticipate being able to explore uh, until I backed myself into this sort of uh, concepty corner, um, makes me wonder how I could have written the third arc ever without it. So uh, that is it for my comic book commentary. Uh, again, uh, Lee Garbett, co-creator and artist. He's amazing. I love him. Antonio brings it all to vibrant life. Uh, Simon makes my words look good. Rick Lopez Jr. is the unsung hero of our team. Uh, a good editor is worth his weight in gold. I think I said that about Simon. They're both worth their weight in gold or platinum even. Uh, they're awesome. And uh, But Rick... Uh, Rick, make sure that uh, that I don't 
have terrible typos and that the story actually makes sense. So thank you to uh, the incredible team. Thank you uh, for listening. Please pick up Skyward. Uh, issue 10 is on shelves right now. Uh, the first trade is available at your local bookstore or Amazon. The second trade should be available in the next couple of weeks. It's called Here There Be Dragonflies. Uh, the third arc starts, um, I think, about a month and a half after this drops. Issue one, or sorry, issue 11. Issue one of the arc is called Fix the World. It is our biggest, craziest arc yet. It pays off all of the questions you've been asking for, uh, uh, answers for, and it is awesome. So, thank you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.